0: From the Mercy One studio.
1: Support for Faith on Trial and Iowa Catholic Radio provided in part by Imogene Ingredients. Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. It's time to hear from the top Christian litigators in the nation who have come forward to tell us the truth and help us defend our faith.
0: Hear ye, hear ye. All rise. Faith on trial with defender of the faith, Deacon Mike Mano, is in session. Good
1: morning from the Mercy One studios in West Des Moines. I'm Deacon Mike Mano, and I'm here with Gina no Gina, how are you this morning? I'm
2: well, Deacon Mike. I'm well. Good. We're here during Carathon Week. Carathon
1: Week, that's right.
2: Helping the station support itself with the contributions of that, our listeners. That's
1: so right, that's right. We're hoping you can... All week. All week. All week, right. That's right. All right. right, and this is uh, how we uh, support ourselves here. Uh, one of the ways we do, obviously, we have different sponsors for programming, but uh, the main thing, I think, comes from uh, our listeners. Our listeners are very generous, and we're hoping we can gain some new ones this
2: morning during Mm -hmm. our hour on the show. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're um, willing and able to make a contribution, the phone number is 515-223-1150, or you can can, um, text the word donate to 515-223-1150, and they'll send you a link back that
1: you can... uh, contribute online and you can go to iowacatholicradio.com, and there's a place on there you can push the button to donate and uh, very easy to do the very easy if to you're do. inclined to do it and we hope you are because we think we bring you some uh, very good programming yeah I think you, you want to remember that uh, most of our morning program that we have uh, during the week is local programming. That we do ourselves here uh we do a lot of the network stuff in the afternoon but it it either way it costs a bit to keep this type of uh, uh programming on the air it does and, it does and when obviously we need uh, financial support in order to keep going and, and just, your prayers and your prayers
2: your prayers are very important also uh, especially for the station and for the uh, hosts that and the technicians behind the scenes. Um, it takes a great sacrifice for all of them
1: to do what they do all week long. That's right. That's right. And uh it's um it's you know I I have mentioned this before if St. Paul were alive today I think he'd be on the radio.
2: Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I think he I'm would sure. be
1: and uh and that's how he would evangelize, you know. Uh, do you, you
2: think t- he would tweet? Do you think you have a Twitter account? I don't
1: know if you would have a Twitter account or not, (laughs) but I'm sure you'd have a Facebook page, (laughs) St. Paul. (laughs) Until he was taken down. Until he was taken down, right, yeah. (laughs) Violate their community standards some way, yeah.
2: Which transitions into our program, Faith on Trial. That's right. And so this week, uh, it's October, Deacon Mike. So it dawned on me this morning Mm -hmm. that October, the... Supreme Court of the United States goes back into session
1: first Monday in October.
2: First Monday, so it won't be till next week. Mm-hmm. And have you seen what's on the docket? Do we know yet what they're going to take up?
1: Yeah, uh, we have an, uh, some ideas. I mean, we know what's scheduled for oral argument, and you can go to scotus dot com, and uh, th- that's an interesting website to kind of keep you up to date with what's going on on the uh, on the um, Supreme Court. Um, Uh, And so
2: I don't know if you know the answer, or maybe our first guest will today, but will they be in session in in person coming in this October, or will they again be only on the phone, telephonically? I
1: think they're probably going to do it telephonically, and the reason why I say that is because uh, congressional hearings are still being done that way. So I would imagine the Supreme Court would do the same thing. Everything
2: on the Hill is still in Washington, And of course,
1: there will be a uh, vacancy when they get together. Uh, next yes. week, there will only be eight of them because we lost a judge uh, last week. And, uh, but so, we have a new judge that's uh, been appointed. And if uh, she is confirmed, and we're going to be talking about Amy Coney Barrett here in a few minutes, but if she is confirmed, then that will bring the court up to uh, its full complement of nine. Right. Now, there is a, and this is something we need to worry about, There is a movement out there, and unfortunately, uh, Mr. Biden has not given us the answer. He's been asked the question several times, but he's not answered the question. The Democrats, if elected, are pledging to increase the number on the Supreme Court. Pack the court. So they could put on another two or four members of the court, uh, which would really turn our judicial system upside down. So that's something we need to worry about. It appears that they are willing to do that. By his non-answer, I can only assume that uh, Mr. Biden is um, kind of playing games a little bit with the question, that he's not going to answer it because too many people will be horrified by the answer. But
2: uh, Well, he doesn't win. With either answer, he doesn't win.
1: Well, Yeah, that's true. It's it's a political thing. But he's playing hide the ball, obviously. You know, he was asked directly at the debate the other night at that mud fight they had that we call a debate. He was asked uh, directly and he would not answer. He keeps saying, well, if I answer, that makes that the issue. Well, (laughs) it is an issue. He's running for president, for heaven's sake, and he won't answer it. So packing the court. Ending the filibuster, those are things that kind of worry me as we look into this election.
2: Well, to alleviate your worry, I'm going to begin this program with a prayer. Good. A prayer for peace, because only God can take these things into account and make them right. That's right. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God of peace, bring your peace to our violent world. Peace in the hearts of all men and women, and peace among the nations of the earth. Turn to your way of love, those whose hearts and minds are consumed with hatred. Strengthen us in hope, and give us the wisdom and courage to work tirelessly for a world where true peace and love reign among nations and in the hearts of all. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you very much, Gina. And we're going to take a short break, and we will be right back with Ian Prower from the Article 3 Project to talk about the Supreme Court. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Faith on Trial provided by Paul Martin and Paul Mitchell, owners of Imaging Ingredients. Imaging Ingredients supply specialized feed ingredients for livestock and pet diets to improve maternal and young animal health in both conventional and organic production. And we are back with Ian Pryor, for a senior counsel with the Article Three Project. Ian, how are you this morning? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Good. Well, well, we're happy to have you. Why don't you just, uh, before we begin, explain what the uh, Article 3 project is. Obviously, obviously Article 3 refers to uh, the Constitution, Article 3, which deals with the courts.
3: Yeah, that's right. So the Article 3 project is an advocacy group um, focused on education and advocacy, supporting President Trump's judicial nominees, uh, defending them from attacks from the left, And obviously, we have a very big task on our hands with the president's nomination of Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court.
1: Let's talk about Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, First of all, uh, what do we know uh, about her judicial philosophy? Obviously, she's received a lot of news, a lot of notoriety, but it looks like there's going to be a lot of attacks against her. But let's start with her judicial philosophy.
3: Well, her judicial philosophy is very much in line with her mentor, um, Justice Scalia, who who she clerked for on the Supreme Court, she is committed to the Constitution. She's an originalist. She's a textualist. Um, she is not somebody that is going to look at the Constitution as a living, breathing document, as as many on the left do.
1: She's not she going to be looking under penumbras, then.
3: That, exactly, no, there will be no penumbras um, in Amy Coney Barrett's uh, reading of the Constitution. Uh, and and look, she she's shown herself to be an extraordinarily Um, gifted constitutional scholar over the past 20 years as a professor at Notre Dame Law School. Um, She's brought that to the bench in the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, and we expect that she will be confirmed and bring that same um, rock-solid conservative and constitutionalist philosophy to the Supreme Court.
1: Let's talk about her record as a judge on the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, Does she have much of a written trail uh, in that capacity, she's only been on the court, I think, about two and a half or three years.
3: Um, you know she does. she she has um, she has a few cases that that I think we can highlight. The first one um, has to do with second amendment rights. Um, it involved a conviction where um, somebody was convicted of mail fraud, and the the statute at issue um, would have deprived him of his ability to um, exercise his second amendment rights. You know, she pushed back on that, um, specifically saying, look, you know, this is not what the founders intended. The Second Amendment, you know, we're not looking at just people that may have committed crimes. We're looking at issues that may deal with um, violent tendencies and whatnot. And and somebody that that is convicted of of mail fraud clearly does not have that. That's one of the opinions. The other opinion had to do with sort of an interesting issue where um, there was an accusation at a university of uh, sexual assault. And the the accused was not given due process by the university. And so she was very adamant that um, the accused in these situations need to be given due process um, and they need to be treated fairly.
1: I think that second case is kind of interesting because uh, we uh, a lot of people know about Second Amendment litigation and the right to bear arms and all that. But uh, lately, and it's kind of hidden away from the public because it doesn't rise to a A level that the local news is going to carry it every night, but there's been a lot of complaints and a lot of arguments around the country about what is going on on campuses as far as student rights when they're accused of something and there have been a number of court cases that have have risen from that uh, all claiming that uh, a student who's accused of some nefarious activity on campus is not given an opportunity to really defend himself, but is uh, usually presumed to be guilty and treat it accordingly.
3: Yes, and that's, that's obviously quite a big problem because, you know, these are, these are students. Um, this is something that could prevent them from, it, you know, it could get them suspended, it could get them expelled. It could hurt their ability to get jobs later. It could hurt their ability to get into different schools. So it is important that due process is afforded to everybody, um, not just in the court of law, but also in schools that receive federal funding. And so that's one of the issues that that came up because it was a um, in this this case Doe versus Purdue University. um, It involved violation of his Fourth Amendment rights and um, Title IX funding.
1: Okay. All right. Now. what are we looking at as um, as the this, what is the agenda for the Supreme Court this term? I guess is is the substance of my question. What issues are coming up? Uh, what is uh, scheduled for hearing? And what issues does it look like may be uh, percolating up by way of writs of certiorari?
3: You know, I haven't I haven't gotten a chance to review the, the full court record for this term. That's that's something I'm going to be looking to do over the next uh, next couple of weeks. As we get closer to um, you know this confirmation, but I think that there's a lot of things that, that could come across the Supreme Court's um, could come across the Supreme Court's desk uh, you know after the election. I mean I think that's very important to consider where we had a, a situation that the election may not be uh, you know formally decided until well after November 3rd, and certainly we saw the um, you know we saw the fallout in Bush versus Gore 20 years ago. With the mail-in ballot issues um, being highlighted, this is something that, you know, it, it is important to have a full court, uh, and that is just another reason why Amy Coney Barrett should be immediately confirmed.
2: Well, and it's not just simply for the uh, presidential races. It's been pointed out that depending on what parts of the country that these cases arise with the mail-in ballots, it could affect congressional races as well. Um and as close as some of these uh, races are, it would be very um, beneficial to have the nine justices.
3: Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, certainly the, um, the Senate is is hotly contested, um, more so than the House. But that doesn't mean that the, the House is necessarily out of reach. But, you know, one of the things that I think people need to consider with this election, especially with the Senate, which is very important, uh, is that the left is, is talking about packing the court. The left is talking about getting rid of the filibuster. Talking about, uh, expanding statehood to Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico. These are things that would fundamentally change the construction of our republic. It's unfortunate that the, the media is not, uh, forcing people to answer these questions, uh, because this is, you know, this is going to be more radical and revolutionary than, than any really piece of legislation that we're talking about now. And, you know, the folks that are, that are on the Senate, certainly need to, or in the Senate, certainly need to be held accountable, and they need to be forced to answer this question because it is an extremely important issue um, that could change the way our country looks.
2: You know, it's it's um, it's been pointed out to me that uh, the courts kind of put themselves in this position by becoming more political themselves. They have now become part of the election process, and, uh, you know, we used to talk about how important it was to make the your vote based on the candidates um, ideas about what they want to do with appointments to the, the uh, Supreme Court. And you know, whether it was kind of vague, innocuous, it might might happen, it might not. Now, it's just so clearly vivid in how we vote and how we make our choices at, at the polls.
3: Yeah and and certainly it's it's something that I think is half a century in the making you know if we exactly. go back to the early 20th century and before supreme court confirmations were were sort of a sleepy affair they they weren't front page news they weren't front and center in um you know in political campaigns but then as you get into the 70s and certainly the 80s with with judge Bork um Justice Thomas you know even even some of the folks like uh Justice Souter you know we're dealing with a different kind of confirmation process where it became more political. And then you get into the 2000s, you have Alito and certainly Brett Kavanaugh being the, the most recent and, you know, unfortunate example of not just political attacks, but, you know, personal attacks, personal dirt digging, uh, and really trying to, to smear the, um, you know, the, the, the nominee as, as we hadn't seen before. And I would say that, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily go both ways. Uh, you know, Justice Sotomayor and Justice Kagan, were confirmed by bipartisan uh, majorities in the Senate, and I don't recall any any specific smears or allegations or attempts to um, derail those confirmations.
2: Sure, it's very political, and I I would agree with you. It hasn't always been that way. It was kind of innocuous. It was something that hand, was taken care of behind the scenes, and everybody came to agreement on the on the next appointment. And I don't know what came first, the the chicken or the egg. Did the um, Supreme Court become more political because of the individuals who are seated or did it become more political because of the way the press and the and the um, agenda of the different parties uh, express the decisions
3: yeah I mean that's a great question and I think it's representative of our, our political system and, and discourse as a whole you know certainly with the advent of, of cable news in the 90s and social media in the 2000s you know, we've really seen more divisiveness, uh, more anger, unwillingness to, you know, listen to other people's point of view. And I think there's been a, a catering, um, to, to the, you know, the, the base of political parties, which has only increased the divisiveness. And the Supreme Court, obviously, I think people, people understand it is, you know, it's far more consequential in many respects than any, any individual election because these, these justices serve for a lifetime. So, if you have a conservative majority, that can last for a generation. If you have a liberal majority, that can last for a generation, certainly longer than a, a six-year Senate term or, you know, two, four-year presidential terms.
2: Well, Miss um, Coney Barrett seems like an ideal Supreme Court justice. She clearly understands the law. She seems very judicious. Um, the fact that she's Catholic, to me, and an uh, um, Orthodox Catholic, it, she seems to me someone who understands rules and boundaries and, and the truth.
3: Absolutely, and, and I don't think you could you could have picked a better candidate for the Supreme Court than Amy Tony Barrett. I mean, watching you know watching the ceremony in the Rose Garden, it was quite impressive how she is as as a mother, as a wife, as a as a judge. As a professor, I mean, she checks all the boxes as an ideal Supreme Court justice, and I think it's going to be very difficult for her opponents to do what they did to Brett Kavanaugh or Sam Alito or uh, Judge Bork. I, I just I find it very difficult to think that they are going to be able to successfully do that and not, you know, quite frankly, debase themselves in front of national TV in the process. You know, even Joe Biden the other the other night said she's a very fine person, and he has no opposition to her. So it's not clear to me. Although I know they will do it, it's not clear to me how the, the Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee are going to are going to approach these these hearings. I,
2: the the one thing that I haven't found in her background anywhere, and maybe you can speak to it, is oftentimes there's some sort of um, political activism in our nominees' background. It doesn't seem like she's had any. Kinds of political activity or activism, um, even in her Catholicism, I haven't seen her publicly involved in even like pro-life or um, religious liberty types of uh, activities.
3: That's right. I, I think she's been very focused on her on her scholarship, on her professorship, on her family, and now on her um, on her judgeship in the Seventh Circuit. She is definitely not somebody that I would categorize as political. I think she is. You know, her Her priorities are, are to her family, are to her faith, are to the rule of law, and she's been pretty consistent about that over the past 20 years.
1: Seems like a great candidate to me. Unfortunately, uh, there seems to be a lot of stuff floating around in the press now about different uh, columnists and different uh, um, talking heads starting to talk negatively about her, especially about certain aspects of her life. Like for example, having seven children, she's been criticized for uh, uh, the uh, adoption of some of her children. That uh, they're doing, she was doing that just as a token. Um, is any of that really going to come out, or is that just going to be an undercurrent? And if you think it is going to come out, what uh, uh, what is the defense to that, or what is the argument back?
3: <laughs> well, I think if that comes out in Senate Judiciary Committee hearing. It will blow back massively on whoever brings that up. I saw that tweet this weekend. It was it was by somebody named Ibram Kendi. Um, he is he is somebody that is is quite divisive in in how he um, how he operates. But I, I did see lots of uh, lots of retweets and lots of commenting on it by you know activists that that you know seem to see that as a valid um, point of contention that that she adopted uh, two children from Haiti and that that somehow was was inappropriate. And I think America knows better. I think America will look at her family, they'll look at her personality, they'll look at her, her judicial temperament, and they'll see a person that they can aspire to be. I think they'll see somebody that would be a role model for young women in America. And I think that anybody that attacks her for adopting children, for having seven children, including one with special needs, and then working, uh, you know, I think they're going to have uh, quite a bad time if they if they try and bring that out in the open. But what I do expect is that you know these the people that are opposed to her confirmation are going to do their best to to spread this kind of um, you know unfortunate uh, narrative to to a a willing Washington D.C. media uh, that that unfortunately often takes what is given to them um, by the left and and repeats it as, as fact and, and creates a, a swirling narrative in in the Beltway.
1: What I'm concerned about in the Judiciary Committee right now, of course, is Dianne Feinstein, who characterized her. Uh three years ago as the doctrine dogma lives loudly within you and uh, we have uh, kind of a pit ball uh, there in um, the person of Kamala Harris and we have um, Maisie Hirono who um, is in my opinion probably the stupidest member of the committee <laughs> and and, and this says things way out of whack sometimes um, I'm wondering how tame the committee hearing is going to be considering all of that.
3: Yeah, and I think you can add Dick Durbin to that list. So you have Durbin, you have Kamala Harris, you have Maisie Hirono. Uh, they they not only not only went after Amy Coney Barrett, but went after Brian Boucher, who is a, a district court judge, during his confirmation hearing about his membership in the Knights of Columbus. That was Maisie Hirono and Kamala Harris. So you have four members of the Senate Judiciary Committee that have questioned judges, including Amy Coney Barrett in her Seventh Circuit confirmation hearing, about their their Catholic faith. You know, I thought we had gotten past that in nineteen sixty with the election of John F. Kennedy. But I think that
4: it's you know backed. when you
3: look at when you look at the left on the you know on these issues, they will use whatever they think is going to uh, appeal to their base and give them an advantage. I don't think it will do that. I think that they've probably seen enough pushback that they're not going to openly do it. but again, i, I would I would suspect that they're going to be pushing these these narratives and these talking points to the press. Now, as far as Kamala Harris goes, Look, I mean, one of the things that, you know, Kamala Harris, when she gets up there, she thinks she's the smartest person in the room. Well, guess what? When she goes up against Amy Coney Barrett, she's going to be extremely intellectually outmatched.
2: I I, I, I am looking forward to that, actually. That was one of the first things, if she's even in the room. Although the last time I heard her answer that question, it sounds like she will definitely be part of the committee process. Um, Kamala
1: Kamala Harris, right.
3: One of the unfortunate things with Kamala, and I think we've we've seen this throughout the course of you know the past years, she she is a very good cross examiner. But if you get her on defense, she is absolutely terrible. She cannot answer questions. Her questions are inconsistent. You know, it's unfortunate that she's gonna be the one that that gets to ask the questions here, but I do think that she's gonna have no answers for, you know, some of the some of the pushback from Judge Barrett, who, again, twenty years constitutional scholar is very different from being a Attorney
1: General. Yeah, we saw Kamala here uh, earlier in the year when she was running for president. She was in Iowa for the uh, caucuses, and uh, of course she had to fold up her tent and leave uh, because she just wasn't catching on. She, the little bit of popularity she had, the more she roamed around the state, the less she had. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But it's going to be an interesting confirmation hearing. That's supposed to start uh, in a couple of weeks, and um, we, uh, we wish you well uh, in what you are doing, and uh, uh, we'll see how it goes in a couple of weeks. And uh, I'm sure um, she's probably going to be confirmed. Uh, but uh, the um, uh, the hearing will be as interesting to watch as the debate was the other night. We'll see if it goes into a full-fledged um, uh, mud bath right. <laughs> like it was the other day. But uh, and we're so happy that you, ha- you were with us today. want to thank you for your time. And um, we will... Uh, uh, Keep you informed of what we're doing uh, at the Article Three Project. By the way, w- what is the um, web page for that? In case somebody wants to look up and see what you guys are doing.
3: Yeah, let me get that for you. Uh, you know, I would add, I would add before I uh, before I go there that you know we are we are absolutely ready to fight for um, for Judge Amy Coney Barrett. And if, if you want to help, if you want to learn more about what we're doing, go to Article Three project.org That's Article Number Three project.org.
1: Very good. Wonderful. Thank you, Ian. Thank you so much for joining us today. We certainly appreciate it. God bless you and your work. And we will be right back after these messages. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. Thank you,
4: Blessment International, for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Everyone lives their life 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. How we use that time directly affects if our life will leave a significant impact or not.
6: Here's your
3: forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. We have cool air filtering in from Canada and the Northern Plains. That'll keep our temperatures in the upper 50s for the afternoon. Wind will be gusting up to 25 miles per hour and partly sunny. A few clouds and a little frost overnight, mid-30s, mid-50s, and sunny tomorrow. The weather is brought to you by Divine Treasures, a Catholic book and gift store serving the Des Moines community for over 25 years. I'm meteorologist Steve Hamilton on Iowa Catholic Radio.
1: And we are back. This is Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. I want to remind you that this week is our Carathon. If you want to go to iowacatholicradio.com and uh, pledge uh, some support for our radio station, we would certainly appreciate that. We're going to turn our attention now to something else. We have uh, Johannes wiedmann uh, Fontis. I hope I pronounced that correctly, uh, but I'm sure I did Pretty
7: didn't. close. Pretty close. Pretty so close?
1: Fast. Okay. <laughs> Should I stop there or try and go further? <laughs>
7: No, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me.
1: Okay, certainly, I appreciate it. Now, you're uh, an attorney with the Alliance Defending Freedom, and we have a couple cases in Virginia um, that are uh, we're following today, and they have to do with uh, uh, the religious liberties and the um, uh, liberties of certain nonprofits to conduct their affairs according to their own set of values. Um, Can you kind of give us a nutshell as to what these two cases are that were just filed this week?
7: Absolutely. Uh, Well, everyone should be free to live and work according to their beliefs uh, without the fear of the government coming in and unjustly punishing them. And uh, that's why we filed this lawsuit. We're representing a photographer, Bob Optigrove. He creates photography for corporations, nonprofits, schools, and he also celebrates marriages. Uh, He's a Christian. He believes that marriage is between a man and a woman and he wants to celebrate marriages consistent with his beliefs. Uh, But Virginia says that if he creates those types of uh, photography, uh, he also has to create photography for same-sex marriages. He can't do so without violating his conscience, um, and Virginia can't force him to do that without violating the First Amendment. Similarly, we're representing uh, churches, a few Christian schools, and a network of pro-life pregnancy centers. They will not be able to operate consistent with their beliefs that God created us male and female, that marriage is between a man and a woman. Um, but the Virginia law comes in and meddles with their ability to set internal policies and hiring decisions consistent with those beliefs. Um, again, they can't do that under the Virginia Constitution either. And so we filed um, a separate lawsuit on their behalf um, challenging this law.
1: Okay, now the law, as I understand, was just passed this uh, past summer. Is that correct?
7: Uh, correct, it was passed on July 1st.
1: And, and what exactly does the law say that you're challenging?
7: Uh, well, the law specifically says that no one can um, attempt or uh, attempt to deny or publish that they're going to deny any kind of services based on uh, you know, race, religion, uh, these different characteristics, characteristics, Sorry. Right. Um, in addition to sexual orientation and gender identity. But uh, Virginia goes, um, interprets this to mean that they can't actually, that they actually have to promote messages um, that violate their beliefs. Otherwise, they're violating this law. Is there any religious exception in the law? Uh, So for the employers, there is, the the statute does say that they can hire employees um, of the same faith. But it then turns around and says that they cannot take into consideration the employees' you know adherence to these sorts of um, to the core tenets of the faith, whether that be sexual orientation or their uh, willingness to uh, their agreement with their teachings on sexuality. So, although there is an exemption, it doesn't effectively protect these organizations.
1: So you can hire somebody from your own religious denomination to teach in a religious school but they don't necessarily have to adhere to the denomination's teachings in what they teach. Is that about correct?
7: That's correct. If the school wants to then fire someone who enters into a relationship that violates the faith, um, they can't do that.
1: Okay, so uh, if I have in a Catholic school, for example, a teacher that uh, decides that she's going to marry another woman, um, and the uh, Catholic school says that, that violates our norms, you, you're you going to lose your job. If you do that, uh, the school would be in violation of the Virginia law. That's correct. Okay.
2: And I saw that they had a companion piece of legislation that also forces these organizations to provide um, health insurance coverage that um, – covers things that may also be um, in violation of their norms and values for gender, uh, gender affirming surgeries, um, those kinds of things, abortion coverage. It'd be like the Uh, little sisters of the poor again. Exactly. That case.
7: Uh, That's exactly right. Um, In that case, as you mentioned, the Supreme court said that the government can exempt religious organizations from, uh, you know, having from providing, covering those types of services. Uh, There is no such exemption here. Uh, They have to provide those services um, that, you know, would change a person's biological sex or what have you. Otherwise, they're violating the law.
2: So where has this legislation come from? Obviously, it it passed this summer. It's probably been in the making for a while. Why is Virginia so determined to take away the rights of um, faith-based organizations?
7: Uh, I mean, that's a good question because you know, we've seen these types of laws weaponized against people of faith uh, throughout the country. We've seen it in Minnesota, where there were some Christian videographers who wanted to celebrate marriage consistent with their beliefs. Um, we saw it in Arizona, in Kentucky, uh, and courts have uniformly held that states cannot infringe on people's uh, sincerely held beliefs in these ways. Uh, nonetheless, um, the Virginia legislature passed this law, and it's very clear that they do intend to target people of faith because they made comments during the legislative sessions, um, you know, saying that these sorts of beliefs were li- bigotry. Uh, they rejected uh, amendments that would have protected religious organizations and creative professionals who wanted to, you know, create consistent with their beliefs, um, but they declined to do so. So uh, it's clear what they intend to do, um, but we're hoping that the court. You know, applies the First Amendment pr- principles correctly, uh, like other courts around the country have done.
1: Now, you mentioned something that kind of uh, scares me, and that's that during the debates, they talked about uh, Christian uh, beliefs as being bigoted.
7: Uh, well, right there were so there were amendments, um, basically, uh, again, that would have cre- that would have created protections for religious organizations who want to hire. And you know, create these sort of internal policies and right. employment decisions consistent with their beliefs. And uh, though there was very vehement language by some of the legislators opposing those sorts of amendments, saying that there's no room for religious bigotry, um, these amendments would create a license for discrimination, um, things along those uh, along those lines.
1: So the traditional uh, Christian beliefs are bigoted, uh, but uh, attacking. The churches and these organizations that want to profess them uh, is not bigoted. That <laughs> that's
7: that's a sta- eye I eye guess
1: that's the state <laughs> of society that we're in today. Mm-hmm.
7: Yeah, it's it's um, that's why we need you, know, you guys. Well, <laughs> and that's why we're thankful for our clients who you know, despite the sort of uh, things that hurl at them, right? being called bigoted. Some of our, you know, many of our clients have received those sorts of messages. Um, they understand that it's actually not even just about Christians. It's actually about everyone's ability to freely express themselves and to live their life according to their beliefs because whether you're an atheist or a Jew or a Muslim or a Christian, um, everyone has those core beliefs, and everyone wants to live consistent with them. Exactly. Um, Slippery, And slower. so, Right. And so our clients understand that, and they're taking that step, but it shouldn't really be a controversial controversial issue. Everyone should agree that people should be able to have those rights.
1: But that's the problem. Everybody doesn't agree with that. And Mm -hmm. uh, there's a a large number of people, a large number of organizations out there uh, that are politically pushing the other way.
7: Uh, Yes. And, uh, you know, as we've seen across the country, thankfully, courts, have pretty uniformly held that they can't do that. Whether it's the government or other organizations that are, you know, bringing these lawsuits, uh, they are thankfully upholding First Amendment principles. We're just hoping that they uh, continue to do so. Now,
1: as I know, the Alliance Defending Freedom. This is not; these are not isolated incidents that we're talking about here. Uh, these these cases are being replicated across the country um, in all. It, almost every state and every uh, court venue?
7: Uh, I mean, we're seeing them all over the place. Just recently in Kentucky, um, the right. city there, Louisville, they wanted to actually force, just like Bob Updegrove here in Virginia, they wanted to force a Christian photographer to celebrate same-sex weddings against her beliefs. Um, you know, they tried to, I mean, you know, we had to take them to court and Although the case isn't done yet, thankfully, you know, the judge gave us a very good ruling saying, uh, I actually have the language here. It was, it was really good. He said, America is wide enough for those who applaud same-sex marriage and those who refuse to. The Constitution does not require a choice between gay rights and freedom of speech. It demands both. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, though, also, we've seen people like Bernal Stutzman. She was a floral artist in Washington. Right, right. Um, she served her client for nine years. Uh she uh, robbed, but he identifies as gay. And when he asked her to create wedding flowers for her, his wedding, um, she couldn't do so consistent with her faith. Um, you know, and she's been through court in court for years and she's still waiting for justice.
1: Well, and you have so, the, the the baker up there too, sweet cakes by Melissa. You have the baker in Colorado uh, that not only won in the Supreme Court, but now Colorado's trying to get another bite at the apple with him. Uh, Arizona has been another hotbed for this stuff. Uh, this mm-hmm. is this seems to be as never-ending, and, and, and it shows us why uh, the courts are so important today, and so are organizations like the Alliance Defending Freedom that will step up and will protect those religious liberties.
2: Johannes, I have a question about this particular case that you're um, bringing in Virginia. Is it a case that if when you win, it will throw the laws out? Or is it simply a win for your clients um, in this particular uh, situation?
7: And so uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great point. It, it's not We're not asking to throw out the law, right? There's, there's some provisions in there that we don't have a problem with. Uh, where we're seeking is just protection for our clients and people who are similarly situated with them. So, um, you know, again, creative artists who want to create art consistent with their beliefs, uh, religious organizations who want to set internal policies... Um, to actually be able to carry out their purpose.
2: Wonderful. Um, and I noticed also, we haven't talked about this, but that pretty stiff fines for those that violate this particular $100,000 every time they are found to have been in violation?
7: Correct. It's up to 50000 for a first-time violation and then $100,000 um, for violations after that. And that's in addition to attorney's fees, court costs, um, you know, investigations, the, the entire lawsuits. I mean, it would easily bankrupt, um, you know, someone like Bob Up the Grove or the uh, religious schools that we're representing.
2: That's what I was going to say. I would destroy a, a Catholic school, for sure.
7: Mm-hmm. And it's funny, because, well, it's not funny, but during the legislative sessions, when they talked about some of these, um, you know, penalty provisions, they specifically said that it's this is what they want to do. And they said, you know, if you don't want to be subject to these provisions, then you have to, you know, agree with what it is that we're trying to do, and you have to um, affirm these beliefs. Otherwise, this law is setting up, is punishing people exactly as it's meant to, to do.
1: Wow. Um, I think your website is what, adflegal.org, is that correct?
7: Uh, that's correct. They so, can find uh, information about our lawsuits there.
1: Very good, right. very good. And, and even um, uh, we're doing our carathon right now, but uh, I know ADF and other organizations like you are always accepting um, uh, donations uh, on behalf of religious liberty. And if so, somebody has some extra bucks laying around, they might want to consider ADF. Johans, I want to thank you for joining us today. We certainly appreciate it. We're going to be following this case, and um, um, we may have you back later when uh, when we have a result.
7: Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us. You're
1: listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. And as I mentioned, we are on our Carathon this week, and if you want to call us with the Pledge or a donation, 223 1150. You can text that number and text the word donate, and you'll get a link back to show you how to do it. Or you can simply go to iowacatholicradio.com and there's a button there that says donate. Just follow that. This is how we stay in business here is on your donations. And we certainly uh, appreciate everything that you can do. And if you can't do a whole lot uh, financially, we certainly appreciate your prayers. And we will be right back after these messages.
6: What is the best gift ever?
4: Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Storm Alert Weather is provided by Divine Treasures. Divine Treasures is a Catholic book and gift store serving the Des Moines community for over 25 years. Their mission is to help Catholics know, love, and keep their faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and His Church. Divine Treasures is where you can find great Catholic books, beautiful Bibles, rosaries, jewelry, statues, and religious gifts for those memorable events in your life. Divine Treasures, 5701 Hickman Road, Des Moines, 515-255-5230. Thank you to Divine Treasures for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio.
3: Thank you, Skeffington's Formal Wear, for sponsoring Dowling Catholic High School football. In business since 1951, Skeffington's Formal Wear offers quality service, style, and selection, providing tuxedos, suits, and casual groom attire for weddings, proms, and any other special occasion. Skeffington's Formal Wear, with convenient locations in Des Moines, West Des Moines, Davenport, Coralville, and Ankeny. All locations are family-owned and operated by members in their respective communities, fitting you for life celebrations, online at skeffingtons.com.
1: And welcome back. You're listening to Faith on Trial, Iowa Catholic Radio. Gina, interesting show today. All dealing with things that are out there in the news today that are affecting religious liberties. Not just the news, but in the courts. And I mean, the
2: courts. the courts have a big. You know, sometimes as as a student, you learn about the branches of government, mm-hmm. and you think, "Oh, well, the courts have nothing to do with me. As mm-hmm. long as I stay out of trouble, they won't ever." Mean anything in my life?
1: Which is the way a lot of our founders thought of the courts when they <laughs> set them up. Yeah. that's right.
2: And um, as we learn on this show, it it means a lot. What these cases, these brave people that step forward to allow cases filed on their behalfs, mm-hmm. or uh, the brave men and women, uh, an- attorneys who step forward to be uh, appointed as justices of our Supreme Court or our federal courts or our state courts are are really heroes in our lives in protecting our rights and liberties.
1: Right, and if we dilute uh, what they do with uh, politics, uh, we're liable to find that our rights are being lost, especially this whole concept of packing the Supreme Court. And, you know, that's easily done. The Constitution only says that there will be one Supreme Court and other inferior courts that Congress may create. And that they serve, when they're appointed, they serve uh, for life, you know, in good behavior. There's no qualifications listed. Uh, Congress could make qualifications. Congress could, uh, uh, if they wanted to pack the court, could decide, well, we want a geographical balance on the court, we want a racial balance on the court, we want this balance on the court, we want that balance on the court. They could really muck it up for us. Exactly. And and I'm afraid until we get the answers, um, you know, we've got to consider that as we look ahead to November 3rd.
2: Right. And this um, – it's clear to me that – for so long, we have uh, stereotyped and had a terrible reputation for a- attorneys, especially trial attorneys, right? And yeah, i still trying to live that down. I know, <laughs> Deacon Mike, it's a burden you have to bear. Yes. But um, I can't help but think through this nomination process of uh, Judge Barrett that our, our young ladies have such a stellar example and model of what a great lawyer looks like. Um, And and how they and mother and Catholic, Catholic, you know, all of those things. um, That if you if you persist, you you will win, and um, just great for our faith and great for our children as as models.
1: Well, she certainly is a model for a lot of people, and uh, and I tell you honestly, if I was advising the uh, one side on the uh, committee that's going to hear her uh, testify in front of it. Uh, I would advise them just to ask uh, simple questions and to not get into any of the other stuff they got into with uh, Kavanaugh. Don't get into the dogma Liz loudly within you. Give her basically a pass because the Republicans have the votes to put her on the court. And if they do anything— as Johan says, they do anything that's going to blow, or not Johan, I guess like Ian, Ian our first said, uh, that's going to blow back in their face.
2: Yeah, I think it will say more about them than it will about it will. Judge Barrett. It will, yeah. yeah. So, so very good. And then we still, i just um, our second story today with the uh, Virginia law that clearly uh, attacks people of faith. It shocks me. Have we not been down this road 15 you know are they trying one more time to We have
1: been. Well, how long destroy? have we been on the air? These are stories that we've had on the air in the, Exactly, you well, started to list off. Been, yeah, yes, yeah.
2: for the last 5 years and the courts even all the way up to the Supreme Court have mm-hmm. clearly said this is not something And that it was interesting last in week
1: we had uh, was a um, Martin Cannon on from the um, Thomas Moore, society. that was talking about how the uh, margin in the Supreme Court for religious liberty has gone from unanimous to one by one. It gets uh, tighter and tighter and tighter. To now, it's five to four. Right. And and so this is this nomination is very important if you're looking at religious liberty and that's what got us involved in this radio stuff to begin sure. with was re- religious liberty And issues. I imagine
2: if she's on the court she, she, it will be less likely or it'll be much easier to get a win for a religious liberty without someone peeling off and you know
1: That's right yeah because you have the conservative will have a, a 6-3 majority on the court and so they can lose a vote uh and still have a 5-4 um But it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how the uh, opposition handles her. Uh, I would just advise them to handle her with kit gloves because it's going to be very difficult to – uh, to to dirty her up like they tried to do to Kavanaugh. Although uh, maybe somebody would come forward and say, "Remember that party that Kavanaugh was at? I saw her there too." You know, <laughs> and, and we'll be into the whole thing all uh, over again. It doesn't sound like she has. No, it doesn't. It sa- doesn't sound like it. A doesn't sound like it. And but, good uh, for her. Good for her.
2: I. Uh, I, this busy month, October, is. we're running up to 33 days to the election. Right. We've got a Supreme Court nominee. There will be a lot of fodder for this programming. Um, we can continue to bring you these these great guests uh, and stories with your support as a listener. Um, the Carathon's going on all week. If you find some time, please contribute. You can visit us at iowacatholicradio.com to make your contribution there or text Uh, Or call our phone number at 515-223-1150. If you text, text the word donate. They'll send back a link that will help you make that contribution.
1: Yeah, and it's important for everybody to kind of stand up. And like I say, if you don't don't have uh, money that you can donate, at least give us your prayers. We we need those. But uh, if you do have some spare change, no amount is too small. Uh, but we should add that no amount is too large either. So exactly. Just, yeah, be mm-hmm. generous. I uh, want to mention again, Saturday, October 10th at noon on the corner of 42nd and Grand, right next, uh, outside of uh, uh, St. Augustine's Parish. Uh, other places are doing this too, but I don't have all their addresses yet. But we're doing a public rosary as part of a prayer across the United States uh, for our country uh, just before the election. Um, Next week? We don't have anybody yet next week. So no, but. If you'd like to be on the program, as, call us. And we'll get you on.
2: As quickly, as news is coming in and things are happening, we're going
1: to have a we're gonna, great show. Yeah, we're going to have week. somebody. We're going to have somebody. All right. That's about it for now. I guess want to thank everybody for listening, and let's end with our uh, prayer to St. Michael. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God thrust into hell, Satan and all the evil spirits who, ro- who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. That's it for today. For Jean and myself, thank you for listening. Uh, join us again next week. Don't forget the Carathon. Pledge uh, something for us, even if it's just prayers. But until next week... Uh, Have a blessed and peaceful week. Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. Faith on Trial, with Defender of the Faith, Deacon
4: Mike Mano. Faith on Trial, Thursdays at 10 a.m. on Iowa Catholic Radio, iowacatholicradio.com, and the Iowa Catholic Radio app.
1: Support for Faith on Trial and Iowa Catholic Radio provided in part by Imogene Ingredients.